Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Walter and the uh, worship team for leading us in the time of worship. And I believe that the Lord has already spoken to many of us in many ways through ministry of worship, music, and prayer. And pray that God will continue to speak to us, even as we set aside this time for corporate worship, whether on-site or online. Well, today we begin a new sermon series on First Corinthians, which is entitled Real Church. Now, Pastor Raymond has given an excellent overview of 1 Corinthians at our midweek teaching last Thursday. And if I miss our, the overview, here's a link in which you can download and listen to at our church website. Now, there are 12 sermons in this Real Church Sermon series, beginning with a surprising start this weekend and ending with a triumphant ending on All Saints Sunday. Now, in line with our church directions this year on discipleship in the family, we hope to face the real issues that we have as a church family. We hope through this sermon series to forge a real authentic community as we find our real hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You can find more information in our church website and invite you to learn together with our family, friends and small group as we seek to be a real community anchored on a real hope in Jesus Christ. Let's ask God to bless our time together. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that your word is powerful and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. May your word provoke our thinking, penetrate our hearts, and propel our will to respond in obedience to you. We pray, O oh God, that you open every corner of our hearts this morning, Lord, as we give you undivided attention and as we await eagerly to hear your living word. Speak, Lord, for we, your people, are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let me begin by giving us some background. Now what was the church in Corinth like? Now here are some characteristics highlighted by Bible commentator David Pryor in the Bible Speaks Today. Now many Corinthians were converted to Christ and the church was full of cliques, each following a different group. At fellowship meals, the rich kept to themselves, the poor were left alone. There was very little church discipline. A lot of laxity was allowed, both in morals and in discipline. They were unwilling to submit to authority of any kind, and integrity of Paul's own apostleship was frequently questioned. There was lack of humility and lack of consideration for others. Some are prepared to take fellow Christians to court. Others celebrate their newfound freedom in Christ without the slightest regard for the weaker conscience of fellow believers. And in general, they were very keen on the more dramatic gifts of the Spirit, but they were lacking on love rooted in the truth. Such was the kind of church that Paul greets. You know, as I think of the sermon title assigned to me this morning, a surprising start, I must confess that I really struggle quite a bit on what to focus on. Well, we do not have all the time to look at the whole passage in 1 Corinthians. And let me just share with you briefly the various themes that I have gleaned from this first chapter. First, there is the unexpected calling of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. The Corinthian believers were themselves a surprising aspect of the message. They were called by God despite their social status, 
the lack of influence and the prevailing immorality of their culture. And this unexpected calling highlights God's ability to transform lives. It demonstrates God's grace and God's mercy toward those who may seem unlikely candidates for salvation. It also reminds believers that our worth and our standing before God are not based on our own merit, but on God's grace. Second, we have the unacceptable conflicts or cliques in the church in verses 10 to 17. Now, Paul addresses the divisions and quarrels within the Corinthian church. And he says in verse 10, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be knit together in the same mind and the same purpose. Now here Paul emphasizes the importance of unity and harmony among believers, for indeed the gospel is necessary for unity. Third is the uniting centrality of Christ. In verses 18 to 25. You know, the central theme of this chapter is the message of the cross. The message of the cross is described as foolishness to those who are perishing, meaning those who do not believe. However, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, verse 18 underscores the idea that the cross which represents the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the means to which God demonstrates his power and brings salvation to humanity. And in short, it is through Christ's work on the cross that believers have been saved. You know the idea that God chose to save humanity through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, a seemingly weak and shameful act, was a surprising start. And it challenges human wisdom and highlights God's unconventional way of working. You see, the world system characterized by human philosophy and eloquence is inadequate in comprehending God's ways. God's wisdom, on the other hand, is revealed through the message of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this contrasts challenges the Corinthians' reliance on human wisdom. It calls them to embrace the wisdom that comes from God. Friends, to be the real church, Christ should be our foundation, and our teachings and our practices should be centered on Christ. The fourth theme in First Corinthians is God's unconventional choice of the week in verses 26 to 31. Now God intentionally chose the weak, the foolish and the lowly to shame the strong and the wise. And this surprising choice of instruments demonstrates God's wisdom and power as he uses those considered insignificant by worldly standards to accomplish his purpose. And this challenges societal norms and reminds believers once again that our worth and effective effectiveness come from God and not from worldly status or achievements. 
Now, Pastor Raymond is preaching in the sanctuary on the same topic right now, and I understand that he will be talking about divisions in the church, the foolishness of the gospel, and how the gospel brings all this together. I invite you to just to listen to his sermon as we seek to be a real church anchored on the real hope in Jesus Christ. And for us here in the hall, I'd like to focus on the first nine verses. The gospel which Paul wants to convey is expressed in this short introduction. A surprising start, the unexpected calling of the Corinthians. Now the beginning of the letter sets the tone and prepares the audience for what is to come. And Paul follows a fairly standard format in the salutation sender and recipient information in verses 1 and 2, followed by a prayer wish in verse 3, and a thanksgiving in verse 4 to 9. And the body of a letter begins in verse 10 with an appeal to unity. Now the first nine verses challenge the church at Corinth to live faithfully, to live faithfully in a context of a city and a broader culture that made living faithfully before God difficult. The letter addresses a variety of issues that were troubling the fractured church of God at Corinth. Divisions within the community were evident in many aspects of the community's life, including, for instance, adherence to different leaders, different judgments about what Paul as the scandalous sexual behavior in the church. Not members of the church were suing one another in public courts, the unequal treatment of people of higher and lower status at the celebration of the common meal, different judgments about the gifts of the spirit and practices in community worship. Now, some of these issues will be dealt with in more detail by the pastors in this sermon series. Now, at the beginning of a difficult letter that deeply challenges the Corinthian Christians, Paul reminds the church of Corinth, Paul reminds them of what God has done for them. And to begin with, God has called them. This is a call to holiness and community. And this comes from their relationship with God and what God has done for them. Now, though the letter concerns Paul, Sosthenes, the co-sender, and the church at Corinth, the opening of the letter mentions another player, God. God is mentioned everywhere. Everything that they have or are, come from God. And we see all the positive things grounded in the gracious work of God. In fact, in the first nine verses, God is either the subject of or an active participant in every sentence, verse, or assertion that Paul makes. In verse 1, Paul calls himself an apostle of Christ by the will of God. Paul called him an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now Paul wants the Corinthians to know that what he is going to address come not from him, but from the God who called him by God's will. And in verse 2, Paul is also very quick to remind his readers that it's not just Paul whom God has graciously called. God has also called the Corinthians, and yet they aren't just ordinary Corinthian Christians. 
Paul's first hearers are Corinthian Christians who are also sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. This letter addresses the God's church in Corinth. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You see, they have been sanctified by God in Christ Jesus. They have been called by God to be saints. And the words sanctified and saints or holy ones are related words, related words in Greek, both of which refers to the themes of holiness that pervades scripture. They are those whom God both calls and equips to become more and more like their Savior, Jesus Christ. And here God is transforming members of the Corinthian church into people who increasingly resemble the Lord Jesus Christ on whose name they call. Church, to be holy is to be set apart from worldly things for a special divine purpose. Holiness is practical and shapes all aspects of the way saints live. Throughout the Old Testament, God desires that Israel be different from the peoples around them and engage in practices and locate themselves within a narrative that marks that difference. And it is the same in the New Testament. The church is called to be different from the culture that surrounds us. We will read later in verse 9 that the church at Corinth is called not only out of the world, but called into the community. They were called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verse 3, we see that even a prayer wish stems from God's ability to grant grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God, from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, in this opening, Paul reminds his audience, his audience what binds them together. He writes to them out of their common relationship in the Father and in Jesus Christ. And what's more, he offers them grace and peace, not of his own, but of God. And all that he will say to them will be grounded in this, God's grace and God's peace. Now notice that the thanksgiving is also addressed to God. It's addressed to God for God's work and God's grace among them. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. Now, it is commonly noted that the thanksgiving section of Paul's letter give a foretaste of what is to come. And so the audience might be expecting Paul to start mentioning them. Well, he did mention them. Their hints of some lauding, uh, their knowledge over others, allusions to squabbles over spiritual gifts, and indications of the weakening of the fellowship over factions. But even these subtle references come in relationship to what God has done and will continue to do for them. Friends, the thanksgiving is a way to reframe the issues around the bigger picture. Not only have the Corinthians been called to holiness and community, they have also been equipped 
extravagantly. In verses 5 to 7, Paul reminds them that whatever knowledge that they have, whatever abilities that they possess, have been given to them by God. They are fully endowed with all the gifts of God. God has given them spiritual gifts to use for the edification of of God's church, a church that awaits God's revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, For in every way, in every way you have been enriched in Him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that... You are not lacking in any gift as you await for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in these verses that they have been given the grace of God. They have been enriched in Christ. The testimony of Christ has been strengthened among them. They are not lacking in spiritual gifts. And Paul can give thanks because spiritual gifts are the sign of the presence of the Spirit. Now notice that Paul grounds the whole letter in the work of God among them. And this God is faithful. They will be completely sustained by the faithfulness of God. Verse 8. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the partnership of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen to this, my friends. God is the one who has caught them together in this fellowship and God will see them through. God is faithful. Whatever faithfulness we manifest is simply an expression of the faithfulness of of the God, the faithfulness of the God who caught us, who saved us, who sanctified us, who enriched us with the gifts of the Spirit, who strengthened us and who binds us together. God is faithful. And this passage refutes our fears, our fatigue, and our feelings. Friends, the unmistakable overarching theme is the faithfulness of God. Not only to the Christians in Corinth, but to All those who in every time and place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in short, everything that they have or are comes from God. Friends, there would be no church without God. And whatever problems that they are facing, the God who called them is powerful enough not only to help them find a way forward, but to strengthen them even as they await the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul then helps the community understand why they have been given the gifts. Yes, it is to help them to live out their faith in the here and now. But more importantly, they have been given these gifts to help them for the long journey that lies ahead. The journey that will lead them to the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a very important part of this passage is the context in which both the call and the equipping of the Corinthians make sense. The life of the church at Corinth makes sense, especially when it is seen pointing toward the eschatological presence of Christ. And this eschatological hope has ethical ramifications for the church. 
And Paul reminds them that as they wait in this time of trial and uncertainty, God will be with them every step of the way. Because God has been, is, and always will be faithful. And in light of the approaching day of the Lord Jesus Christ, God strengthens them, helping them to be blameless. I'd like to take some time to talk about another surprising start. And this is the unconventional choice of the week in verses 26 to 29. Paul says in verse 26, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to abolish things that are. So that no one might boast. In the presence of God. You know, many in the Corinthian church, like many in our day, elevated people according to their abilities or their position in society. And they assumed that they were called by God because of their status, their knowledge, their preeminence among men. And they admired those who were able and successful rather than attributing to the grace of God in bringing even the lowly to himself. Friends, God did not choose those of his kingdom as a man would choose. Our calling is not dependent upon anything in ourselves. Just as Israel was not chosen from the nations of the world because of any value in and of itself, Friends, God chose to bring about his purposes of redemption in ways that are contrary to the world's expectations. He chose Jacob instead of Esau, the younger instead of the older. Human wisdom would have given the inheritance to the older. He chose David, the younger of his brothers, to to rule Israel. The world would have chosen one of the older brothers, one who was skilled in battle, strong and powerful. But God chose a shepherd boy, the humble, the weak, to lead Israel. And friends, in the same way, God took on the form of a man, humble in birth, lowly, with no exceptional background, no kingly attributes that the world could discern. God did not choose as the world would have chosen, as the world would have expected. God chose the humble to confound the mighty. Someone said that the design of God is thus dealing with men, calling the ignorant rather than the wise, the lowly instead of the great, so that no man should boast before God. Now, let me leave you with some discipleship lessons. You know, in many ways, the church today is similar to the church in Corinth. We are torn by many issues. Each side claims some knowledge from scripture with its arguments that divides us. And friends, like the early church, God is at work. God is at work even in the midst of the chaos that we are in. 
And friends, as we await the revelation of God's Son, let's look for God's work among us and let's be mindful of the gifts that God has given us to strengthen the body rather than to tear it down. Remember, together we lack no spiritual gift. You know that we are caught together with all those in every time and place makes clear that it is not simply one cell in the body of Christ that has received every gift needed. We need other cells, not simply in our church or in our denomination to fulfill the ministry of Christ that we might be found blameless on the day of his coming. Well, today we typically do not compete for whose spiritual gift is greater or more important. Now, that is not to say that we do not compete. We do, but it isn't over the gifts of the Spirit. Many of our churches, people in the pews, and those who never cross the threshold of the church, they need to be encouraged that they have received gifts of the church, gifts of the Spirit that the body needs to fulfill the ministry. And friends, we need to identify and encourage the gifts of our people that are needed by the body of Christ. And if we identify and encourage the gifts given to everyone caught by God, perhaps our spiritual fatigue will be relieved. As can be seen in even a cursory reading of 1 Corinthians, being set apart for God, and toward each other has been and remains difficult for the Corinthians. But friends, God has given them the means to those ends, and God expects them to use those means. Indeed, God's grace is amazing. They have been given the knowledge of Christ Jesus. They have been given the gift of speech so that they will be able to, to proclaim and give testimony of that knowledge. And here's the next lesson. We are called to be saints together. We are called to be saints together. Now, how is Christ made manifest in our midst when we are called together with those who practice the faith differently or who make theological claims we strongly disagree with or who live out their faith in ways that offend us? Friends, can we begin to have conversations and build bridges with other expressions of the Christian faith in order to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Friends, it is not to one cell in Corinth in the body of Christ that Paul addresses this letter. It is together with all those in every time and place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Now Paul uses their Lord to unite us, not to divide us. To unite us with all those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, this puts us squarely in the same boat as those whom we vehemently disagree. The church today like that in Corinth has been called by God. Like the Corinthians, we have been extravagantly equipped for faithful living. Like the Corinthians, we live in the midst of a culture that makes faithfulness a moral and intellectual challenge. 
Like the Corinthians, we fall short of the expectations of the gospel and we are called to greater faithful living. Friends, we must be committed to the truth and the life-shaping power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like the community in Corinth, we too need to be reminded that we continue to live in the time in between. And what God is doing is not over and done. And we too have been given spiritual gifts that will strengthen us for the journey ahead. Friends, today's passage is a hopeful one that emphasizes God's call and provision. It tells us that it is indeed possible to live a sanctified life in the midst of an unsanctified culture. And this is a surprising start for all of us as we anchor our hope in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Let's continue to allow God's word to sing into our hearts as we respond to Him. What is God saying to you today? And what is God saying to you about your discipleship? I invite you to take some time to pray. Father, search our hearts. Search our hearts, we pray. And identify any areas in our lives, oh God, that are not pleasing to you. We pray that we will live godly in Christ Jesus and in submissive obedience to your Holy Spirit. We pray, O oh God, that we may fulfill all that you would have asked to do in our lives to your praise and glory. Thank you, Father, for enriching us in all possible ways. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we pray that we may live in a way that is pleasing to you in all speech and activity so that your name is glorified in our lives. And today we confess that we could not draw another breath without your strength. Thank you that you have covered us with the robe of Christ's righteousness for his name's sake and have promised to keep and sustain us through every season of our lives until we stand in his presence and are presented to you as blameless. Enable us, O oh God, to finish the work they have given us to do for your praise and glory. Thank you that you are a faithful God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. Thank you that we have been caught into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and may we live to his praise and glory day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.